gonna like somebody And let them like me Going further means chains And I was born to be free To hell with love Welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. I am your host, uh, Chris Swan, and uh, this week we're going to be looking at a Robert Altman epic classic film, looking at uh, dysfunctional people, marriages falling apart, lots of fighting and things, so it's only fitting that my co-host for this episode is my lovely wife, Claire. Hello. Uh, yeah, we, we finally, it's only taken, what is this, spine number 265, but, uh, we finally have Claire on an episode, everybody. I haven't been sent away this time. <laughs> well, that, we'll get into all of that then, I guess, but, um, yeah, w- welcome, Claire, to your, uh, first actual podcast episode. Um, Patreon listeners will know, have heard Claire before, she's, uh, jumped on a couple of our commentary tracks, but, uh, Thank yeah. you for the welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I guess, uh, before you get into the movie, let, let's get into it. Uh, how you going? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm tired. It took us two sessions to watch Shortcuts. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you have a three and a quarter hour long film. <laughs> and, yeah. and both work. <laughs> the word short is deceptive. Yeah, there's, there's two pun there's two jokes you can make with that. Like the idea of it being three and a quarter hours long, Shortcuts, and also uh, some of the nudity, uh, Shortcuts. I don't get it. I'm already, like, well, what, a minute in and I'm already getting to a Julianne Moore pubic hair joke? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, what, what's, what's, what's our deal, I guess? What's our deal? Yeah, we're, we're uh, a happily married couple. Yes. Yeah. This movie, if it taught me one thing, my life is boring, but it's okay. Yeah. Well, it's kind of almost the thesis statement of the film to some degree, like, I guess. No, but theirs isn't okay. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, yeah, they it, the boredom makes them have it, the issues, but we'll, we'll kind of get into that when we get into the actual film. But um, what, what's your history with movies, I guess? Oh, my history with movies. I, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd, like, watched more movies than lots of people, and then when you and I got together, I was like, oh, Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I know nothing. Yeah. I know nothing. In fact, when we first started to date, like, I remember making little lists of, like, movies I'd watch and, like, I'd go home during the week and, like, watch some so I just would, like, catch up. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, all the stuff that I'm talking about in conversation. Yeah. And, oh, God. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I've got to watch this. I've got to watch that. Oh, man. I, um, sound, t- I sound tiresome to date. Yeah. But, <laughs> look, I was trying to impress at the start. And you know me now. I just... I, yes. watch, I will watch what I want to watch. Yeah. I will walk away if I'm not enjoying it. And I like to watch a variety of films and I hate horror. Yeah, which uh, leads to a, the wonderful uh, little trivia about us that our first date, uh, I took you to see The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the original uh, 1981 Sam Raimi Evil Dead um, up on the big screen at uh, the beautiful Astor Theatre here in Melbourne, which, which is where we got married. <laughs> yeah, so you are you just like in it from the get go. Like, yep. you allowed me to get married at my favourite cinema. So I, yeah, I, I love you forever. <laughs> on film, no, on words, 
Oh, it's on recording. Yeah, we have it on audio now. It's on the internet for posterity. Thank you. Those are the words. But then, yeah. So, like, we we've been together the entire time. The po- I think we've the, the we've, podcast been running longer. We've been living together longer than the podcast is. It's it's been like seven eight years that the podcast has been going. But um, so what's been your experience with me doing the podcast, and you know, for nearly a decade now, kind of and the weird fucking movies that I have to constantly watch oh, and then yeah, disappear good, to discuss. So it, it keeps you busy. It's always something that you're watching. Um, at, when they first, when you first started, like I probably like the first 10, I know I didn't watch Salo. Oh God, no. I was like, <laughs> but I remember watching quite a few of the first 10, like either adamantly or possibly to the side mm. like i'd never seen silence of the lambs before and i yeah. watched it because you were doing it for the podcast but yeah i'm if i do watch it was i watch and then i go because i'm prone to making noises that i shouldn't be making so i get sent to my room <laughs> oh no it's okay like we, we kicked you out. in those early days it was very much like not the greatest microphones and we you know we didn't necessarily it was a learning curve for yeah. us, but, um, you know. Look, honestly, I like being sent to my room. Yeah, like, I don't give a fuck <laughs> about this Norwegian film from the 70s you guys are discussing. Yeah, never like Cole sitting on the couch, like, piping in. Yeah. I've always been like, a, I'm happy to stay off. Yeah, mic, yeah. Off mic, and my opinions are very everyday compared to you guys that have your mm. wide breadth of knowledge well i mean film. like you saying that uh y- you have a very everyday opinion i think is a uh, very fitting for this film good yeah but um the one last one before we actually jump into the movie uh like your experience with criterion then i guess My experience with criterion well the, the, the giant bookshelf full <laughs> of weird movies that is in the study <laughs> well um a Strategy we have for choosing what to watch on a weekend often involves one person organizes or like cooks dinner or organizes to pick up some dinner and the other person has to choose a pile of DVDs and then we whittle it down from there. So sometimes I'll pop in some criterions from there that just have random names and I'll just be like, yeah, whatever. And you look at the cover and you're like, sure, that seems interesting. I've probably enjoyed most of the ones that we've read read watched yeah. from those mm. like i really enjoyed what was that one? Oh no 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 come on what what, what, what do you um what happens in it what, what are, yeah two people in a car going places in a car it's got um you know the girl with the face not night on earth by jim jarmusch where it's like all the different taxi stories no no two people in a car going somewhere that's criterion oh, i also love paris is burning when we watched the other night yeah yeah um not uh with Nell and i not no not with now you called out my own private idaho the other week but we didn't watch that yeah uh dazed and confused no, no not dazed and confused but i did enjoy that but um the hit with uh, John Hurt and Tim Roth, the Hitmen. No, like, should I just go and get it off the shelf? Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's see what you let's see what you find. I liked Badlands. Who, like, oh, we watched that quite a while ago, but... But that stuck in my mind. Yeah, because it's a fucking amazing movie. Terrence Malick, uh, Martin Sheen, Sissy Spacek, fucking one of the best. 
I, I love that movie. Couldn't remember the n- title, but that's... It's an odd title for that movie. That's like, pretty common for me. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, when I was looking at the shelf, obviously, all of Wes Anderson films. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, and there's also, like, As a I lot said, of... As I said, I'm pretty everyday. I'm like, oh, rid of you know, colours. Also, some of the other Good ones, story. like, you know, Chasing Amy, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, um, I periodically try... Yeah, some of the docos as well, like, you mentioned Paris is Burning and things, so... Mm-hmm. You wonderfully put up with uh, with my fascination with uh, non-mainstream, I'll put in air quotes, cinema. Yeah, and mm. I don't watch many with subtitles, which probably counts out a lot, but what did we watch the other day with the... Um, Suicide. That was great. With the with the guy. Oh, Har- oh, Harakiri. Yeah, Harakiri. yeah. I couldn't on, remember the name. I put on Harakiri. Harakiri <laughs> was great. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you, you're one that you're not often. Yeah, you'll you'll sit down if something looks interesting, or if I'm like, hey, you should watch this. You'll definitely. Mm. But yeah. if I'm not in the mood, I will walk away, and yeah. I don't need to know the ending which is probably the makings for a good marriage i feel yeah <laughs> that i don't be like no you fucking have to sit and watch kurosawa yeah <laughs> that, that would not go well uh well with that note we'll move on to the actual uh film that we're talking about today uh robert altman's 1993 sprawling uh, los angeles epic shortcuts uh i'll quickly read the criterion synopsis Uh, The vision of two great American artists merge in shortcuts. Maverick director Robert Altman's kaleidoscopic adaptation of Raymond Carver's short stories. Epic in scale, yet meticulously observed, the film interweaves the lives of 22 characters struggling to find solace and meaning in contemporary Los Angeles. The extraordinary ensemble cast includes Tim Robbins, Julianne Moore, Robert Downey Jr., Jack Lemmon, and Jennifer Jason Leigh, all giving fearless performances in one of... uh, (laughs) in one of Altman's most compassionate creations. Wow. I don't even feel like you read all of the names of all of the people. No, this is one of the most impressive casts, like, assembled, especially in the 90s. Like, I mean, you know, you always think about, like, around the mid early 90s, you think that poster for Pulp Fiction that has all of these names. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, no one knows, like... Maria de Medeiros, like, Who? you know, yeah, exactly, like, you know, and Ving Rhames wasn't necessarily Ving Rhames yet, like, whereas, Who? yeah, okay, <laughs> Marcellus was. This is going to be my little catchphrase, yeah. Who? <laughs> yeah, whereas you look at this one and you've got Andy McDowell, Bruce Davidson, Jack Lemmon, Julianne Moore, Matthew Modine, Anne Archer, again, while we're watching the film, Claire was often like, what's your catchphrase? Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, who's that? But, like, the ones that aren't listed on the back there, we've got, yeah, Matthew Modine, Anne Archer, Fred Ward, Chris Penn, uh, a huge favourite of mine, Lily Taylor, Madeline Stowe, Lily Tomlin, for fuck's sake, Tom Waits, Francis McDormand, like, Peter Gallagher, the one that you knew from, uh... The OC. Yeah. No, Madeline Stowe I knew from Revenge, That's the TV right. series. Yeah. And we had recently watched 12 <laughs> and, Monkeys. And we'd watched 12 Monkeys, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the one that I wanted to, uh, I said I was going to save it for the episode, but uh, Buck Henry, um, who plays uh, Gordon, one of um, Stuart's fishing buddies, the one that uh, takes the photo of the dead girl and then yeah. has the mix-up with Lily Taylor at the photo mat. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, so that's Buck, Buck Henry, who I was like, you, you might think he's familiar because he plays Liz Lemon's dad on 30 Rock. Oh. There, there isn't a proper lemon party without Dick. <laughs> um, uh, but he is also an Oscar, I think, winning screenwriter for The Graduate. 
and oh. Heaven can, and he co-directed Heaven Can Wait with um, Warren Beatty, and he was a staple of the early 70s Saturday Night Live. Uh, so he's yeah. a big Hollywood guy, and I'm just like, hey, you've got funny glasses that go up and down. Yeah, and yeah. you're making Lily Tomlin bend down to like get more butter and mm. be, be a sexist dick. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are just dicks in oh. this movie. Oh my god. 1993 was a very different time than 2020. <laughs> yes. The amount of sexist shit that would not be allowed. Oh my god. Yeah. It shouldn't be that different. I was alive in both of these times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, thankfully, yeah, not having to put up with, you know, shit like, can I have some more butter or like the... I mean, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll save Tim Robbins' whole character for later, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like, opening up, like, for this one, so did you know much about Robert Altman before going into this? Because this one is a big, like, you know, put it up on the pedestal for him movies. Okay. Um, I'd heard the name. Of Robert Altman. Yes, I'd heard the name. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a director. Whereas sometimes you say names of directors and I'm like, who? Again. <laughs> this is the point of the podcast where I remind listeners that Claire <laughs> does not know <laughs> um, But, so I knew he was a director and then I looked up on the handy old IMDb mm-hmm. and I saw a list and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen some of these films. Um, I, I pulled out a pile of the, the DVDs and Blu-rays of Altman films that I, we, we have in the house. So uh, starting it off with... You've got MASH Special Edition. Yes. No, I have not seen that. Yeah, when I mentioned, like, when you said you wanted to do this episode, and I was like, oh, it's Robert Altman, and you said... Who? (laughs) And I went through, and I was like, you know, the director of MASH, and you were like, the TV series? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, little backstory for Altman, for both yourself and the listeners, um, if you don't know. Uh, he's kind of, he's a very similar to like a Sydney Lumet where he started off doing like episodic TV and like made for TV movies, um, sort of working his way up in the ranks and then eventually kind of graduating and starting to do feature films. Um, and MASH was the one that was like the massive breakthrough hit for him. Uh, won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival. I was nominated for Best Picture. He was nominated for Best Director. It was, this was the film that kind of put him on the map as an interesting director. Um, and then after that, uh, throughout the sort of 70s, he had a amazing kind of auteur career where he would make things sort of like um, uh, Brewster McCloud, McCabe and, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and then, uh, of course, The Long Goodbye, which I'm holding up. Which we have seen. Yes. Yes. And that's the... Um... Raymond Carver, which is the same... No, I made the mistake as well in my notes. It's Raymond Chandler. Oh. Raymond Chandler. I just, I heard Raymond with a C and I got confused. Raymond Chandler is the uh, Marlowe mystery writer. Yeah, I I know, I've read stuff by him. Raymond Carver (laughs) was a short story writer. Uh, uh, More uh, more recently, people would know, have him in the zeitgeist because Birdman... Uh, the play that they're making is adapted from a Raymond Carver short story. Okay. Um, Thank you for the clarification because yeah, yeah. I would have gone along with that all night. Yeah, so Chandler made sort of detective mystery films and Carver did kind of existential slice of life Americana, Americana glance in it. That makes Middle sense. of America stuff. Yep. Yeah. But um, the, the big one for Altman as well, like going back to that, in the 70s was Nashville in 1975, which is kind of... I mean, it's the better version of Shortcuts, I guess, in a way. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a group of, it's that thing where it's like multi, I think it's 24 characters in Nashville, kind of all 
converging around a, um, I want to say it's a political rally and a music festival kind of all combined into one. And it's like three days of like, for instance, like the DNC or something Mm -hmm. like the national convention. And then it's like all of these people kind of weaving and it's kind of the, it it changed what films could be to some degree. 1975. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's sort of the, it's, it's very, very similar to shortcuts, very different in tone, but very, very similar in style and execution, I guess. Okay. And so this is we'll kind of, I'm going to keep running through with what we got, which next up. Oh, they're in order, are they? Yeah. Okay, the player. Yeah, so after Nashville and things, he kind of uh, had a little bit of a good run there. I made some amazing art art films. Sort of, I mean, previously on the podcast, we talked about three women. There are other ones in there, like images and things. Uh, but in the, uh, the sort of 80s, he had a real kind of falling... Uh, he made Popeye with uh, Shelley Duvall and Robin Williams. That was a massive flop. Sounds fun, though. It, it's, it's a weird movie, and it's kind of great. Um, but he kind of had a giant falling from grace and was, like, kind of... Not blacklisted, but it was kind of hard for him to get a job. I mean, he consistently worked, but people didn't dig his films. Um, and it really wasn't until 1992 with The Player... Uh, there was a little bit somewhat with Vincent and Theo, which I think is like 1990 with Tim Roth. Um, that kind of brought him back a little bit. People paid a bit of attention, but the player was a massive, massive hit for him. And he was sort of back up on top. Interesting. Yeah. So I did watch the player. Oh, I'm looking at the people in it. Now I'm making connections. Remember Whoopi as Goldberg as the police detective and Fred yeah. Ward as well? And, and Peter Gallagher again. Many repeat cast. Yeah, many repeat cast. Okay, yes, I do remember this one. This was good. That was Tim Robbins as the movie executive who kills, accidentally kills the screenwriter. Yeah. And he's getting, like, stalking letters from. Uh, and I'm remembering in the opening scene, there's this incredible kind of touch of evil reference shot. And in the opening scene, Buck Henry playing himself is pitching the graduate two to Tim Robbins. <laughs> so again, so much repeat cast. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Oldman had been on the skids kind of on the outs of Hollywood for a, quite a while. And then it took him making a film that pointed out the absolute stupidity and hypocrisy of the Hollywood system to get him noticed by Hollywood and kind of back in their good graces. So he used that to then his very next film was Shortcuts. So do you think that that was money that got him the next thing or it's just good graces again? Uh, good graces are, well, the player made a shitload of money okay. and it got nominated. For, I think he himself got nominated for best director. Uh, the film, I think, won best screenplay. Um, it won a bunch of, yeah, it, it was... It was like a big Oscar movie and a very big hit and a very beloved film for that year. So that sort of, everyone was like, oh shit, Altman's back. And what's he going to do next? Next is Shortcuts. something that he had been working and trying to get made for, by 93, about five, six years at that point. Okay. I think uh, because he, he loved, he started just reading the short stories of Raymond Carver and just loved them and was like, I can do something with this. And then ended up um, contacting Carver's widow and getting the rights to it and things. But then it just took like five, six years for him to eventually get to that position to be able to make this kind of movie again. Okay. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I was wondering when I was watching it. I'm like, when was this written and when was the script written versus when it was um, actually produced? Yeah, so it was a couple of years and it's obviously a lot of the stories are not... 
I think uh, none of the stories actually set in Los Angeles. Uh, none of them commingle or interact. This is kind of something. They don't. No, none whatsoever. Really? Yeah. So, do you want to hear a little bit about that aspect of it? I guess. Yes, I thought that there was a connection almost between every single story in some way. Uh, that is a creation of Altman for the film. Oh. Yeah. So it's based off of uh, the movie is based off of nine uh, stories and one poem by Carver, mm -hmm. and uh, apparently there's only two of the stories that kind of really stick closely to the actual Raymond Carver short stories, and that was. Um, what are the names? I'll get the actual names of the short stories. Um, a Small Good Thing, which is uh, a story about a baker who harasses a couple who haven't picked up their son's birthday cake because he was hit by a car. Okay. And the other one is So Much Water, So Close to Home, about three fishermen who won't let the discovery of a nude female corpse disrupt their fishing vacation. Okay. Uh, and actually, one of the stories in the movie is actually created wholly by Altman and uh, co-screenwriter uh, Frank Barhide. Barhide. Um, and that's the one of the aging jazz singer and her cello suicidal uh, cello-playing daughter. Really? That was not even a, ca uh, a Carver story. They kind of made that it, as a... It fit in pretty well. It meshed in. Perfectly. And If not... Yeah, it felt like it was incredibly purposeful as to why it was there to tell the story of the others and Link. Not just that, but it's also a, a glue in more ways than one in that all of the soundtrack is either... Um, it's either Laurie Singer or Annie Rose. Annie Rose being, uh, being the jazz singer lady. Mm. It's actually her and her band doing all of the songs. And then it is the daughter who is the cello player. Cello player. That is actually her playing the cello in all of the scenes, and it's also her doing all of the like classical music that's the soundtrack. Oh, because I was going to mention the soundtrack was intense. It's a very jazz heavy. It was, yeah. Um, and yeah, and then Annie Rose being the actual lounge singer, it's actually her and her band doing all of the other songs as well um but the idea of it being like a jazz soundtrack kind of works for this film because it's so free-flowing and kind of nebulous that it's like and you don't know where it's going next exactly and you're just like you're along for this ride and you kind of just you know at some points you're you're clicking your fingers and you're bobbing you're with like, it. like i remember this bit and then you're like oh what <laughs> and then at other points you get really sad and upset like when a child dies <laughs> oh my god i don't know why i'm laughing so much <laughs> But, um, I mean, we've gone through a bit of a history of Altman and we've arrived at Shortcuts. What was your reaction to this movie? My reaction, well, my thoughts going in were that I had no idea what it was about at all. You I'd seen the title. You didn't know anything about the cast, I, nothing. I knew, yeah. I'd seen some of the cast on the outside of the box, but that was it. Yeah, I've, I've got the second printing the DVD case. where it's like all in kind of uh, cursive calligraphy, so it's kind of hard to make out some of the names but yeah i remember like when it was the opening credits you was like wait i know that person i know, I know that person i know that person i'm like oh don't know that one but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. um so i came into it like totally fresh no idea and i think it was such a just a poignant look at different people's lives and it, it's the yeah. type of film you don't often see made anymore where it's yeah. Which which I was kind of worried about doing this recording and like the episode on it because it's not really about 
anything. A thing. It, I mean, it is, and I, I, I kind of want to get to that, hopefully. We'll, we'll try and crack that, I guess. But it's... Narratively, it's not about anything. It's just a bunch of things and stories and glimpses into these people's lives. And it goes for over mm. three... Um, like, the last film like this I can really think of is Magnolia. And that was 99? 99, 2000? Um... And very fitting because uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is a massive Altman fan. Oh. Yeah, down to the point of uh, Altman's last film was um, Prairie Home Companion, like a, based on the Garrison Keillor radio play stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, very, very old. Uh, so much so to, that to get the movie made insurance wise, they had to have a director on set, like ready to take over if Altman died. Oh. And that was Paul Thomas Anderson. I thought that they had insurance problems because Lindsay Lohan was off the rails. Well, that, that I was also <laughs> going to bring up. I'm glad you did. Like, But thank God before Robert Altman died, he got to work with Lindsay Lohan <laughs> in his final film. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, like, he's obviously a massive fan of Altman and, like, was a student of his um, and kind of shadowed and became a great friend of his. And that's essentially Magnolia is the closest thing you have to something like a Nashville or a Shortcuts. I, there's no other film really that comes to mind. I can't think of it. And it, it, what makes this film kind of work so wonderfully is the Altman style. Where, like, watching this with you, I, <laughs> like, I desperately wanted... It was, like, normally when we sit and watch a movie, it's like... We talk. Yeah, and, but this was one where it's like, no, no, keep it, keep it <laughs> saved, I guess. But... Because you, you, like like you said, your only real exposure to Oldman is really The Player, The Long Goodbye, and Gosford Park, Gosford I think. Gosford Park, yes. Yeah. And so the Oldman style is v- extreme cinema verite, where it is like, you'll have a scene happening and it doesn't matter. Like, you've got overlapping dialogue, you, the camera's on the other side of the room and it's slowly pushing in. Like, it, it's... There were people walking in front of the people that were, like, the main yeah. element of the scene. It, it's that extreme cinema verite, like, documentary style, like, taking documentary style into narrative fiction and mm-hmm. just... And by doing... Like, having his style for this type of... Nothing happens with just, like, a couple of days in the lives of people. It makes it so much more enhanced. There's a realism that wouldn't be there if they were just there and no one walked in front of them. Exactly. Or no one interrupted them because that's what life is. It's being interrupted, someone in the way, someone <clears throat> doing something else. Did, did the style work for you? Like, because was it off-putting, I, I guess? A few times I was a bit off put I was like oh I can't hear what's going on but then I'm like that feels like my regular life (laughs) like being at a bar or something no I'm a primary school teacher I spend no time in the day where there aren't multiple voices telling me the same thing different things at the same time yeah yeah Mm. so I'm kind of like okay I can tune in and out Mm. that's like the interesting thing about Altman and I couldn't help but constantly think at re-watching this film was he is such a singular auteur director where it's like that is just his style and there is no other filmmaker that does that and it is a just a holy robert altman thing to do and because of that for better or worse a lot of his film like it, it makes it tough to discuss the technicals of his films because it's just like yeah no it's, it's a robert altman film so it's, it's different to that's, the others once you've talked about the style before it's like yeah that's 
what he do. <laughs> he he do it very well, but it's you know. Yeah, I can't compare it because I've got I don't know any other directors that do that. Yeah, that way. And and I don't want to kind of sit here and lecture you like or man mansplain <laughs> Altman to you I guess for like 20 minutes because I don't want to do that our listeners don't want to listen to that all so, it makes me think is I should watch a little bit more yeah he, he, he's a very interesting director um a lot of a lot of great a lot of not great um I, I've seen maybe 20 20 to 30 of his films and I like about half of them so you're not recommending Popeye uh no I recommend Popeye for the sheer what the fuckness um <laughs> I like Predator. I wouldn't recommend. I, I didn't dig on that one. Um, it's about the fashion industry, yeah. obviously. Like, yeah. In the nineties. Uh, yeah, yes. uh, like ninety four. It's got Julia Roberts and things. Like a big ensemble cast again. Um, yeah, th- there's there's a handful of ones that are great, and he's also a director that jumps. Like I'll do a like relationship drama. I'll do a comedy. I'll do a musical. I'll do a thriller. Like. All but he still map. has his own style to it. Yeah, like I mean, I mean, think back to the Long Goodbye, like the scenes where he's on the beach with our um, Sterling Hayden, like the crazy old man, and it's like the beach party, but it's like the camera is like fucking a kilometer away, slowly <laughs> zooming in, like it's that's his style. <laughs> yep. And all the scene where it's like uh, Marlo's going out to get cat food, and it's like the girls across the road making the hash cookies, and it's like a five-minute yeah. scene of just looking at their boobs almost from like but from, from far from, away. Yeah, that's that's what he do. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the best way to kind of approach this one would be to kind of breeze through each of the narratives. I think. Oh, good choice. Each, each of the kind of nine stories, and we can kind of talk about how how we reacted to them, the performances, how they interconnect. So I figured the easiest way to do it is just go down the cast list. So we're starting off hard and heavy with uh, Andy McDowell and Bruce Davison and Lyle Lovett as the baker. And I suppose Jack Lemmon as well. Like this is the problem actually, they're all gonna enter commingle. But yeah. We'll leave Jack Lemmon in there too. Oh for sure. Like yeah. Um, but yeah, this this one is there's the whenever I think about this film, because I've seen this a couple of times before, it's there are the two stories that I really think of, and it is um, Andy McDowell and Bruce Davison with their son being hit by the car and in hospital, and the other one is um, Madeline Stowe and Tim Robbins, and then kind of by, by proxy Julianne Moore and Matthew, mm-hmm. but like the relationshipy yeah. ones. Yeah. Mm. This one, ooh, the, the kid. It's just so, it's so horrible. And what makes it? Because you don't think it's going to be horrible. You're like, oh, this is just a couple, you know, they're getting along. Well, the first time we see them is we have Bruce Davison as Howard Finnegan on TV as a famous commentator on the news. Yeah, a news commentator, and he's watching himself in bed. And you're like, okay, might be a bit up himself. And they've got a very, and and Casey's such a sensitive little boy. He's had a nightmare. And he's got all the, and then so he comes into bed and they're such a loving family. Mm -hmm. And then the next morning it's, she's very cautious about all of his allergies. And it's like, oh, it just, it makes it so much worse. (laughs) Checking, does he want to lift to school? And And then that whole the lead up of the one minute of almost of him just running running and you're like 
You're what's, like, oh, what, what are you doing, buddy? Where, where are you going? And then in true Altman fashion, when the car hit happens, we are all the way up the street. And it's on such a wide shot that it's just like, you wait. You're like, wait, did that happen? What happened? What? And it yeah. makes it so real. Yeah. And the fact of him getting up and going home, yeah. But it's it's kind of the perfect glimpse into, I think, what the film is trying to do, where it's it's examining the lives of couples and relationships and kind of throwing them into different fucked up scenarios and this is like the most fucked up one to throw a couple into it's like what happens if your child dies yeah essentially or is dying and you don't know and it's you don't know what why or how you could have fixed it or solved it or yeah change it yeah. Mm. Sorry, I should say massive spoilers for shortcuts, by the oh, way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what makes it so <laughs> kind of engaging is because it's, again, I go to that realism of it where it's all the scenes of Andy McDowell and Bruce Davison at the hospital, it's they don't, they're, they're stressed at the beginning, but then they get calm and relaxed because they've talked to the famous surgeon that they know and he's like, no, they recommend this guy's really good that we've got, we're in good hands. They're, they're down, all the doctors and nurses are downplaying what's happened. Mm-hmm. And so when he he, he wakes up They're like, we're dies, just waiting for him to wake up. That's all they keep saying. We're just waiting for him to wake up. He'll wake up soon. That when, mm. when what happens happens, it is you as the audience get that emotional gut punch that the parents have because at the same time, you know, it's like, it almost feels like their storyline is facilitating other people's storylines. And at the same time, the little boy next door that had been shot for no reason, yeah. he, he had recovered. So at the same time, you're like, oh, well, this is possible. Mm. People can recover. No. Yeah. Not too much. And then where it, I mean, what ends up happening with them, you think their storyline is really going to be about Lal Lovett, the irate baker who they didn't collect the cake, calling and harassing them. And you mm. think that's that's what this story is about. Yeah. Or Jack Lemon, the estranged father, reconnecting with his son. Like, but then it's, it's like, no, no, no. Those two other things are the ancillary to... Dealing with that loss. Mm. Which kind of cuts through to, like, what I think Altman's doing with the film, where it's just like, there's all this other shit that goes on, but at the heart of it, we're looking at the, the, the core emotional center of humanity i guess like you know almost like you know you can have reconnecting with your strange father you can have a weird baker guy harassing you but at the core what what is the emotions of these two people and that's what we're focusing on and what actually matters at the end of the day um andy mcdowell's a weird one for me i don't dig her that much (laughs) i i feel i should but i don't yeah, I feel like I'm on the same page with you there. She can, like, it's every time I see her, I'm like, I want you to be great, but I find her very warden. She's, I just, yeah, I probably don't connect to her as much as some of the other actors in it as much. And like, she did a good job, but also I'm like, I don't feel, I don't know. Maybe it's just I saw a lot of chick flicks with her in, so I'm like... Possibly you watch Green Card a lot. (laughs) Um, But Bruce Davison, you were not that familiar with. How'd you you find him? He was was good, and the way that he sat there when 
Jack Lemmon was doing his monologue. Oh my god. Well, yeah, yeah. So, well, do we ju- do we jump into that of it all? I yeah, guess. I think so. Um, yeah, Jack Lemmon, uh, one of the greatest actors of all time, showing up in this movie for what three scenes, and manages to condense what it turns out is like. Oof. An entire Raymond Carver short story yeah. into a heartbreaking monologue. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Makes, breaks down, you know, his disappearance from his son's life for, you know, three plus decades. Yeah, but oh. also at no point takes responsibility no, for it. Not at all. And the fact of, like, he shows up to the hospital with the egg trick. Like, and, and then Anne Archer is Claire the Clown brilliantly just been like, it's a good one for a bar, buddy. Like, yeah, not a grandkid. And then you realise he's never met this grandkid. Yeah, oh. and not just that, but he he's the type of man that thinks that that's an okay thing. Like, you know, the bar, it, entertainment's entertainment. And it gives you, it's like that little scene gives you all the backstory you need on this guy. And then it's just a fucking, it's like close to, it's like it's like eight minute long monologue of just, whew. Jack Lemon, God damn. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Yeah. And then Bruce Davison as well, like brilliantly off playing it and trying at the beginning, trying to downplay it and be like, I don't want to talk about this, blah, 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 but then getting gripped into it. And then the ultimate sadness of like you realizing why Jack Lemon is there. Like the fact that he felt he lost his son in a hospital scenario with a kid so now he finds his son in that type of scenario. So this is the perfect opportunity to regain that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to show back up. This is my moment. And then when Casey goes, like, you know, goes into cardiac arrest and, like, he's dying, there's a wide shot of him just slowly defeated walking down the hall. And he's like, just... Like, I, I, I'm done. Yeah. It, it's like, this was my moment to reconnect with my son. Not even acknowledging, like, no, you can still do that, dude. Like, just because of the scenario that you envisioned didn't have... It makes it so heartbreaking and sad. Oh, my God, Claire, you look like you're going to (laughs) cry. Yeah. But, um... And then, like, I mean, we'll move on. Like, that. that is... That's a great thing. Like, it's... That's why... Call that the main storyline. I really would, because it interacts with... I mean, because of that, you also have... It links to a lot of them. Yeah, like, they're the next-door neighbour of uh, Annie Rose and Laurie Singer. Um, Lily Tomlin is the person that hits Casey with the car, like... He's the newscaster, and he's only in every but once... Matthew Modine is their doctor. Like, it's it's the kind of core heart of the thing. I'm I'm looking at the Criterion cover, and it's a heart. A fractured heart, (laughs) It's, yeah. Yeah. I know. What, what one do you want to tackle next? Like, what, what stood out for you as one of the stories? Uh, yeah, I'd say the Madeline Stowe and Tim, Tim Robbins, the dog stuck, stood out to me. Little Susie. Susie, Little who is Susie, a, the boy dog. Yes. <laughs> who, okay. This, and those I, kids with mullets. It made me think, like, have I ever seen Tim Robbins play such an asshole before? Has he ever played a villain before? Um, the only thing I should can, we look up his IMDb again? Well, well the only one that come <laughs> that I can think of is playing the fucked up, deranged hitchhiker guy in the Tenacious D movie. <laughs> come here so I can stab you. <laughs> I don't think I've seen. That. Yeah, but he he is the most despicable, horrible person ever. But strangely, is one of the one of if not the only character that has an arc. 
and actually changes and grows throughout the course of the events of the film. Yeah, but then I go back to what I can't remember who character name Madeline Stowe's character says that this is what he does he goes around in circles he'll he'll get you know he'll get sick of the girl that he's with he will come back to her and then it'll be good for a while and it and like and it's cyclical so yeah I don't know if it's an arc more than just an arc of the full circle uh, uh, the arc of a <laughs> repetitive cycle yeah. that we got to witness I guess mm-hmm. yeah sorry to bum you out no no it's super accurate (laughs) you're right but he is so it's such a i I love tim robbins in pretty much everything he does i think he's a very underrated and underappreciated actor um he is hamming it up in this though he's Mm. borderline mustache twirly (laughs) (laughs) Like, the, him just, like, immediately getting home and hopping off his motorcycle and just yelling at his kids and instantly. You're just like, okay, buddy, just <laughs> tone it down. And it makes me wonder if that's because he's coming off of being the lead in the player with Altman where he played such a kind of pompous yet meek person that this is like... So he wanted a contrast almost? Yeah, I feel. Because I feel if he was, yeah in a good space with him, he could possibly have asked for any of those roles. Oh, I guarantee it, yeah. And, like... So, if mm. he got to choose, and that's what he chose, he was definitely looking for contrast. Yeah, and and Tim Robbins, I know, loved Altman and loved working with him, like, down to the point of, I think he's the only cast member that comes back to do something for the DVD and Blu-ray release for Criterion. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But, yeah, his, his relationship with Madeline Stowe and then, like, I guess flowing into Francis McDormand. Like, <laughs> God damn it! like, the idea of going through <laughs> story by story, it's not going to work. <laughs> let's, okay, fuck it, broad let's strokes. Let's just go through our, no, let's keep flowing. Hmm. We can let go of a story and we can come back to it as we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and so from them you've got, like, this, like, you know, the two sisters of Madeline Stowe and Julianne Moore and, mm-hmm. you know, the argument, like, you know, you have a cheating philandering relationship where it's, you have Gene, the motorcycle cop, Tim Robbins, who's the piece of shit that's philandering, and then it's contrasted with a... And it's out in the open, but not with Madeline. Mm-hmm. So, like, she, like, she, like you said, she openly knows about it. And then you contrast that with Matthew Modine and Julianne Moore, where it's, like, the seething... The, the seething secret of many years. Yeah, and it's that thing it's of... It's not he, actually a continuing situation. It's a one-off... Yeah. Something. It, it's just so interesting. You have, the like, the two sisters being, like, the kind of polar opposite exact or not like you know well you've got a man cheating and a woman cheating is kind of what i meant from that but mm. it's also like the, the two extremes of an affair like a drunken one night oh i fucked up versus a prolonged continual <laughs> i'm gonna take your wave and leave my wife and become your kid's new stepfather <laughs> like yeah it's it's very interesting and they they i think the two of them work so well off each other julianne moore and madeline stowe yeah, they worked well. As sisters, You, it was believable. Yeah. They even sort of laughed the same. Yeah. I think they did that on purpose. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's a weird one. I think all the female performances in this film are on fucking point. Like, you know, Madeline Stowe, Julianne Moore. Then you have Anne Archer as Claire the Clown, who is super subtle until, and like, just kind of... Like, the moment where she bumps into Matthew Modine at the hospital and her full get-up and is just oh. like, I'm excited for dinner. And it's like, I don't like, fucking know fuck? you. 
Yeah. yeah. All the men are dicks and all the women are lovely in this film. <laughs> Basically. Hmm. But they're like, you know, across the board, I think like a lot of the men are very heightened versus like the female characters, I think are played more. They're the ones that like the men are the instigators for a lot of it. For a lot of what goes wrong. Yeah. And then it's the uh, female characters being the reactionary ones and kind of having to deal with everything i guess and because of that they it's a lot of the men being like well what the fuck and then the women being like all right and more kind of grounded and realistic i think except for julianne moore who says her part oh my god and that okay we talked about jack lemon's amazing monologue let's talk about julianne moore's amazing monologue yeah um kind of i think it's like four or five minute long thing telling a story about a drunken one night stand with with a hairdryer in her hand and no nothing under she's winnie the pooing it (laughs) she's just walking around winnie the pooing it yeah she's also got this top that's cut perfectly you know like an asymmetric cut that's long on one side and up on the other just to show Full bush, yeah, ready out there. But but at the same time, it, it it could seem as like weird and gratuitous or whatever. But it's also like it works so perfectly with what's happening with that couple, where it's she, like you said, she's there with her clothes dryer, just drying clothes, and it's just like, no, this is just everyday married life. And he's like, why won't you put some pants on? Yeah, you're. And there's the famous thing of like, Marion, you're not wearing any panties. <laughs> like Matthew Modine screaming, and it, he's viewing that as a problem. Or, or as a sexual sexualized thing, whereas she's just like, no, motherfucker, I'm just drying my pants. Like, yeah. whereas, he, like, it's that, yeah, it, it heightens into that situation that the two of them are in, and it's like, there's a lot of nudity in this film, that is, but none of it is exploitive. It, it all kind of serves a purpose, and, yeah. like, that's, there's nothing sexual about that scene except for the connotations, the connotations that Matthew Modine's reading into the sexuality of that scene. That's what a lot of it is it's all the connotations that other people are taking mm. which i guess is like the breakdown of relationships it's like the the discussion of like i view something one way you view it an opposite way do we have a dialogue or do we just go at each other's throats about it yeah, and or ignore it and just seethe see or seethe <laughs> and yeah that's the other thing like matthew modine you have seething until it finally erupts or you have madeline stowe who's accepting of the infidelity and is just like this is just what the fuck happens, I guess. Hmm. And just lets it be. And then, like, the hilariousness of uh, Frances McDormand being the ultimate, like, cuckold. Like, she's she's jeaning Jean. Yeah. <laughs> Jean is Tim Robbins' character, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, like, the fishing story with Fred Ward and Huey Lewis and stuff, it's just kind of a nothing. It's a nothing. It, it's except for when it actually brings in with Ann Archer and that's like, yeah, again, so when they, when they finally get back, mm. all of a sudden you're like, well, not all of a sudden when you're watching it, you're just like, don't be fucking, fucking dickheads. Co- yeah. Call the cops. Call, <laughs> call. You don't have a mobile phone. That's fine. Call, mm. leave, call. Fishing isn't important. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But yeah. But then, you know, it then it's ends. How does this, how does their stupidity in those moments, or in that day, um, how, how does that affect their relationships? It, it kind of contrasts nicely with it's, it's not a breakdown of a relationship due to someone's actions, it's due to someone's inaction. Yeah. And it, it's, it's Fred Ward's 
kind of coldness and like the, the fact that they He's waited. like, I'm going to just tell you this story. And she's like, well, what? And, and him not reading or understanding that that's kind of fucked up or that mm. that someone would react to the way I, that yeah. she does. Surprised de- that that's how she feels. She fucking goes to the funeral even. That's how, like, she feels guilty by proxy mm-hmm. about it. it. It's such an interesting little character study. Um, I don't know, like, yeah, similarly, like, the Lily Taylor, Rob, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Penn, Jennifer Jason Leigh stories are also kind of nothings. Until the very end. <laughs> yes, nothing's until the very end. Exactly. Um, but yeah, all I'll say is, like, Danny Jr., he's doing his Danny Jr. Like, he's, you kind of realise, like, oh, yeah, you've been like this forever. Like, you have your shtick, and you do it. And you do it well. Mm-hmm. Like, the only time I think I've seen him different is probably Chaplin. Where well, he's great. He's amazing in that film. Or Tropic Thunder as well. Like, that's uh, every other time it's just him doing that, like, well, I'm smarty. Okay, I guess I'm smarty then. All right, I'm smarty. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's Downey Jr. in every movie. This time he's just a makeup artist. Yeah. Who are you? I'm a billionaire playboy genius. Um, but I love Lily Taylor. I, I, I just think she's a fantastic actress, and anytime I get to see her on screen is great. Jennifer Jason Lee fucking destroys in this film. Oh, her dialogue. Well, the, the contrast of her seeing like, yeah, snap the, snap the rubber band that's around your cock while I juggle your balls. While she's feeding her baby. And changing a diaper and things as the sex phone. It's so wonderful. And then the, the, the growing jealousy and resentment in Chris Penn and, um, yeah, oh. exploding into that weird final scene, which um, I don't fully get. I don't either. I was hoping you would explain it to me. My my read on it is uh, for those that haven't seen the film, and you know if you're still listening and not interested, I guess uh, <laughs> they're all the, these two couples, Chris Penn and Jennifer Jason Lee, Danny Jr. and Lily Taylor. They're out for a picnic at um, Griffith Park, and two girls come by on mountain bikes, and Danny Jr. and Chris Penn are like, "Yeah, let's go and try and fuck those girls and leave our wives with the kids." Take some beers with us. And a joint. We'll go and try and seduce these young college girls or whatever. It's really weird and creepy. As Claire said, 1993 was a weird time. (laughs) Not too long ago. Yeah. And then they go and confront the girls and down it... Danny Jr.'s going off, takes one of the girls off, and then... He's like, oh, come look in the cave with me. It's, it's the Bat Cave. It's going to show her the Bat, the bat cave. cave. Oh, yeah, that's... Which I guess is euphemism. Mm. Um, but then while they're gone, Chris Penn, uh, with the other girl, who coincidentally is Q- uh, Susie Cusack, mm. the youngest of the Cusack siblings. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> it's Joan and uh, John's uh, youngest sister. Uh, he proceeds to bash her head in with a rock. Yeah. She spills beer on her top. She turns around, lifts up her top to dry it or something. Or, like, wring it out, I'm, ring is it what out. I'm guessing. And then he's just... And you could see he, he something was building up in his body language before yep. that, but that wasn't expected. That was like, what what just happened? And, the, and then... And then an earthquake And happens. then an earthquake happens. And the movie ends. And then they say, <laughs> oh, there was one death, and it was her... Yeah. And they're like, oh, she was hit by a rock. And then I'm like, well, was she hit by a rock? What the fuck? Or did she get murdered and they think it's a rock? Okay, well, that's interesting. I want to, yeah, I was intrigued to see if you thought that that, was that scene, did that really happen? Or is that, like, kind of uh, weird? How do you view that? I've, I viewed it as it really could have happened. Yeah? You, you didn't think it was, like, a then hearing the news report, like, oh, maybe that was a 
hyper real kind of fucked up fantasy almost sequence or something. No, I could, because there was no other fantasy. Yeah. Um, but then I'll go with, you can see my little murderino self and I'm like, yeah. oh, I was like, did he also do the other um, nude girl that they found in the river? Oh, no. So yeah, yeah that, no, because they talk about her being, that's out, she was out in Bakersfield where it's like. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Bakersfield's a long way from LA though. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like many hours. That's yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I to me it's um, kind of because you see his kind of resentment of, and they openly talk about it, like the Jennifer Jason Lee being this phone sex operator talking off guys, and you know he yeah. feels jealous and hurt by that, and there's the scene where he's like, why don't you talk to me like that, yeah. and it's not understanding that that's like no, that she takes no pleasure in this dude, yeah. like. And then that then builds with the scene at the jazz club with the piece of shit guy who just got out of prison. Yeah. Who, and it, it's that thing of the $200 or whatever and, like, you know, takes it back or whatever and Chris Penn's like, do we have a problem here? And Jennifer Jason Lee saying, like, we could have used that money and storming off. And you're like, she was never going to suck that guy's dick for $200. No. But the fact that she kind of made that, like, undercut remark... S- destroys Chris Penn. Yeah. And he's just sitting there and, and he's been, he's been cuckolded without being cuckolded, I guess. Like he's been like, you know, the fact that he does nothing and he tries to confront the guy and then just sits there. Like, you know, he's been diminished like that. And then it, it's, it's that. It's, and, she's almost looking to get a rise out of him. Yeah. And I mean, it got, it even almost starts with, um, the jazz singer as like, you know, berating him to have to come and clean her pool and stuff. It's like his, his idea of how women treat him is, and what women are in his eye is really fucked. And like the only time that he seems to get a gratification out of a woman is when the daughter, the cello player daughter is skinny dipping while he's also on the phone with Robert Downey Jr. talking about like very inappropriate shit. Very inappropriate stuff. Yeah. And so it's like their ideals of... That's right. Because he was whispering. Yeah. And I couldn't hear what Robert Downey Jr. was like applying saying makeup, at but then all. it's like, you know. And I was just like Yeah. This was that was the one point where I was like, oh, too many people talking over each other. I can't. <laughs> I was like, could we put on the subtitles? Fuck you, Oldman. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But then like him exploding and killing Susie Cusack, I think like the fact that she takes off her top but then turning away from him is like him kind of being like I've snapped. Yeah with my idea and how of women and how women treat me and how it like, again, it, it's, it's showing a then broken that, ideal of idea of a relationship. But then if that is the case and that is what happened, I would feel like the film shouldn't just pl- downplay it and then just be like, Oh, and it's just someone who just got hit by a rock in the, earthquake like i feel like that's not a place to end it i i don't no i i I think he (laughs) he fully gets arrested and goes to jail and stuff but i think that's like because it was such an immediate news report after the thing had happened the earthquake had happened that it's like we're getting reports that a woman has died okay from a rock (laughs) like and not not having the actual details of it i guess okay but it, it's the interesting thing, like, you know, ending, like, you have one person absolutely destroying with Chris Penn, at, like, in that moment, but then the earthquake and, like, where we've gone with all these characters, kind of, it brings them together. Yeah. Like, um, Lily Tomlin and Tom Waits, all of a sudden, were, like, 
liking being with each other again. Oh, that's a sad story to me. That's like him being an alcoholic because he's jealous. He's just a man who's just kind of like, you know, wants more out of his life and wants to get, like he keeps saying he wants to get them out of there. But then he goes off on a drunken bender for a couple of days because of Buck Henry wanting, like you know, staring at her ass or whatever. And then Lily Tomlin descending into alcoholism because she's dealing with the guilt of hitting Casey with the car. Like it's super. Oh yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Brutal actually. I, yeah. Mm. She, oh, she didn't know what happened to him either. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, See, it's, this is why I said my life is easy and boring in comparison. That's fine. It's such a weird microcosm of a film. So fine. Mm. But, bore, bore me up. Mm. Well, I mean, the, like, I guess wrapping it up there, like, what... It's like each of these stories clearly has... It, it's saying something, like, um, I guess, about interpersonal relationships in particular with couples and how uh they can go wrong or they can go right or what you can do is like even on a basic day-to-day kind of what went right uh well uh francis mcdormand seemed to have a great trip with charles rocket <laughs> she's going to hawaii yeah it was great. i love that that, that worked out hawaii. well um yeah uh i mean andy mcdowell got a muffin yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like those two were going to look after each other in their future. Yeah. yeah. Not the Muffin Man, mm. but... But, yeah. yeah, like, so I guess it's... Is the film essentially saying, like, this is what relationships are? Swings and roundabouts. Yes, and I think we were just looking at the rough parts. Yeah, like, I mean, oh, God, I'm using a fucking, like, idiom <laughs> to try and describe it. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's it, it's one way you can break down what each individual, like, it, it's essentially a film about relationships. Yeah. And what, it, what each individual one shows you as a viewer can either help you or like I examine think, your own. I yeah. Guess. I think it, yeah, it's there for you to examine and say, Hey, these aren't, n- none of these situations are great. How can you avoid being in these situations? <laughs> which, which kind of makes it great that it's a Raymond, it's, it, it makes it a very true Raymond Carter adaptation then. Like, cause that's what a, the majority of his short stories, like similar to like Flannery O'Connor and things where it's like, this is, and from modern day one, like George Saunders, where it's just like, these are like little short condensed stories of a microcosm of a life. And you as the reader or audience take from it and apply your own understanding and your own experience to this and either learn as a cautionary tale or don't. Okay. Well, that's exactly what I was saying, except you said it more succinctly. (laughs) No, I just, I just threw some literary references in there. That's, That's all that was. That's yeah. all just me trying to sound smarter, but yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about the movie? Yes, please. Uh, so the film was nominated for Best Director at the 1994 Academy Awards. It was also nominated for Best Screenplay at the Golden Globes, where it was awarded a special award for the cast. Because it was so big. And everyone was so fucking good. That or, the... or because they couldn't choose which ones individually to No, it, it's one for. of the few times the Golden Globes <laughs> have given a just... This is just great. You guys get an award. Oh, cool. Another similar time, I think it maybe even the same year, was uh, they gave one to uh, Robin Williams for Aladdin. They were just like, you're just too fucking good. Here's an award. Like, you're not even nominated. You just get this. 
And so they gave a special award to the entire cast, which is pretty great. Um, it was nominated for four Independent Spirit Awards, uh, winning Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Film. Uh, Julianne Moore was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but didn't win. Uh, coincidentally, similar to that like casting thing, uh, there's now an award at the Independent Spirit Awards uh, called the Robert Altman Award, which goes to Best Ensemble Cast, Director, and Casting Director, inspired by Shortcuts. Oh, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Can, who, can you give me an example of someone that might have won the Best Ensemble Cast? Uh, someone, the, some people? Recently, I know Suspiria, the remake one, where it was like a wonderful thing to see entirely women women on stage, except for Luca Guadagnino. Yeah, yeah, the bunch, like, none others. I forget who won it last year. No one off the top of your head. Wow. Maybe Moonlight? Probably probably 12 Years a Slave. I I don't know. It's tough because it's one where, like, it's not a... Because, uh, no, Marriage Story won it this year. Okay. At the most recent, I think it was, yeah. So, mm. Cool. Yeah, there we go. I finally pulled one out of my dense, fucking stupid brain. Uh, the National Board of Review named uh, Shortcuts one of the top ten films of the year, and it won the Fopresky Prize, uh, tied with Bad Boy Bubby, a fucking great Australian movie, uh, the, Pas- the Passanetti Award, and a special Volpe Cup at... Uh, a special Volpe Cup for the cast and the Golden Lion, uh, tied with Three Colours Blue, at the 1993 Venice Film Festival. Claire's eyes glazed over through all I of that. I heard Golden Lion Venice Film Festival. I know that's an award. Yeah. Um, and it tied... <laughs> well, that it, it's best film at Venice. I yeah. tied with Three Colours Blue. I desperately want to get you to watch the Three, three Colours. Three Colours Blue. There's the Three Colours trilogy by Kislowski, uh, Red, White and Blue. Oh. Yeah, and uh, I, I really want to get you to watch that one day, maybe. <laughs> I want to all, meet you all to... three colours, or just one of the colours? All three. You need to watch the trilogy. Oh. Uh, moving on with trivia. <laughs> uh, the film was shot in ten weeks. Uh, each storyline was filmed in a weekly division. Okay. So with the, nine, the ten stories, he kind of spent a week on each one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, equal effort, input. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in preparation for her role as a phone sex operator in the film, Jennifer Jason Lee spent time in actual phone sex offices researching the role, uh, during which time she claims to have heard, uh, have read the call logs and recognised some very prominent names, including two film directors she personally knew. Because uh, <laughs> I was wondering when she did that, I'm like, is this a job anymore? I think it's not. Uh, probably not. It's more like she threw over to like cam girls and okay. OnlyFans, I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't know. I know nothing about any of this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was just like, I don't think that there's phone lines. There might anymore. be. It's a very neat, like, you know, masturbation's a cornucopia. <laughs> what you enjoy <laughs> is what you enjoy. I'm sure there's people... But that... those film directors, they enjoyed it. Hmm. Um... Secretly, but... On the books. Yeah, it's on the... Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, her phone... Jennifer Jason Lee's phone sex conversations are verbatim of the calls that she heard uh, while researching. She would write down stuff. Oh, love it. Yeah. Um... I like that she did the research and it wasn't just a script. Hmm. I found this interesting as well, um, that apparently Madeline Stowe was originally offered the role of Marion, the Mal- uh, Julianne Moore role, uh, but was not prepared to do that full frontal nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got took the other role but still did that top like you know the, yeah. the, she, yeah. she was she was fully nude but she you know not yeah artistically covered up in certain spots um on that note uh, in an interview julianne moore revealed that robert altman warned her that the role of marion 
had a lengthy monologue while bottomless and that her shirt wouldn't cover anything below her waist, uh, so both sides of her would be visible for most of the time she's walking around. The very red... I swear to God, this is on IMDb and Wikipedia. <laughs> and Julie, I've actually heard Julianne Moore talk about this. Uh, the very red-haired actress said she not only agreed to take the role on the spot, but also told Oldman that, as a bonus, she wouldn't be shaving so audience could be, would be able to see that, quote, the carpets match the drapes. <laughs> I fucking love Julianne Moore. She's the greatest. <laughs> She just wanted everyone to know the carpets match the drapes. Yep. That's beautiful. Uh, Jennifer Beals was cast in the film, uh, but her character was cut from the script during pre-production, so she obviously bowed out. Uh, apparently Laura Dern turned down a role in the movie. Mm. Um, I'm guessing Frances McDormand's role? Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I'm trying hard to picture age at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of right after Wild, or right around Wild at Heart time. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've kind of talked about Paul Thomas Anderson and the influence with Magnolia and yada yada. So, I guess, uh, otherwise, do you want to hear a loop? Uh, I'll go through the actual Criterion edition itself. So, the films are still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray or a two-disc DVD. And it comes with the special features of a video conversation between Robert Oldman and Tim Robbins. Luck, Trust and Ketchup, uh, Robert Oldman in Carver Country, a feature-length documentary on the making of shortcuts. To Write and Keep Kind, a PBS documentary on the life of Raymond Carver. Segments from BBC Television's Moving Pictures, tracing the screenplay's development. One hour 1983 audio interview with Carver conducted by the American Audio Prose Library. Original demo recordings of the Doc Pomus Mac Robinac songs uh, performed by Dr. John. That's pretty fucking rad. I love Dr. John. Uh, deleted scenes, <laughs> a look inside the marketing shortcuts, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. The uh, only thing that was missing that we wanted was the, like, web of connections. Kind of like a family tree, but a web. Oh, my God. We wanted, like, that to be able to press a button on your Blu-ray remote to be able to kind of, like, have a oh, web. Oh, yeah, of that's right. So, like, on the, um, the picture Am picture. Amazon Prime, when you, like, move your mouse and it's got, like, a list of who's on the screen or who's about to be on or who was just on and their character's name underneath. Oh, my God. That would have been so good. It would have been, And made, usually yeah. it's a pretty silly feature that isn't needed but for something like this it, it could for be something like that i was like well, i mm. could do with that um but i guess wrapping up uh, what did you what did you think claire about shortcuts i'm really glad that i got to watch it yeah yeah i think it sort of made me sit back and think about which films i am watching and how i can maybe watch some more realistic type films high five that's oh. that's that's all we want from the criterion quest is to yeah. Watch stuff that you wouldn't normally be. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, I, I really dig this movie. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, it's right up there for Altman for me. It, it's no Nashville, um, but it's pretty damn good. But um, I guess that'll wrap us up for our Shortcuts episode. Uh, Claire, Ooh. thank you so much for finally jumping on the episode. Thank you for letting me come along and have a chat and share and my very not much knowledge. <laughs> no, no, thank you. And, you know... Uh, putting up with a three and a quarter hour long film about like marriage sucks and we should all just fucking yell at each other all the time. Oh, it doesn't. It, it made us realize we got something good. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, next In a fortnight's time, we're going to be back with a uh, silent classic. We're going to be looking at Cecil B. DeMille's 1923 film, The King of Kings. Oh, I know that name. Jesus. 
No, not the King of Kings, Cecil D- B. DeMille. Yep. It's because we watched, I showed you uh, Sunset Boulevard recently. Yes, that uh, one, and there's an award named after Yeah, that's the uh, Honorary Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden Globes, is the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, tune in in a fortnight's time. I think we're going to have Lee uh, back on as co-host for that episode, and uh, mm. I'm going to force her to watch some Jesus stuff, but otherwise, uh, <laughs> keep listening, everybody. Uh, we've got an absolute uh, slew of good shit coming up. Um, I, I cannot wait till we get into the uh, Andre Vaja trilogy. Uh, we've got some Gus Van Sant, some Kurosawa. Uh, it's going to be great. And otherwise, uh, feel free to jump onto the Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash thecriterionquest where we are wrapping up our uh, trilogy of horror films for the fall season. Uh, we've got a comment- feature-length commentaries for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Scream, and uh, Lee, I, myself, and uh, our good buddy Eric are getting ready to record a feature-length commentary for Hereditary. So if you want to get a, a take on like the new resurgence of art horror films, uh, jump over there. Uh, it's five bucks a month. You get... Uh, access to all of that stuff as well as some uh, additional stuff here and there uh but more importantly it helps us keep the lights on it helps uh helps me keep producing the show getting it out there so if you're able to uh that's fantastic thank you otherwise uh just thanks for listening uh you can send us an email at the at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at the criterion quest all of that shit as usual claire anything you want to say Thanks, and I hope to join you again sometime. Yeah, no, we definitely have to have you back. It's been, like I said, 265 episodes and we finally get you on. Yeah. <laughs> You've been often talked about, never seen. So. Never seen. Oh, or never still heard. not seen. <laughs> but, um, I'll be back before 500 and something. Oh, definitely. I think I want to get you on for um, Life Aquatic, since that's your favourite Wes Anderson. True. Mm. Mm. You'll have to fight some people for that one. Though. Yeah, maybe. But uh, again, thank you all for listening. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Claire. We'll see you next time. I'll find a way to keep from getting in too deep to hell with love.